Hi, welcome to The Landscape, a Cranes Cleveland podcast. We're presented with the support of Weatherhead Executive Education at Case Western Reserve University. I'm Dan Paletta. Thanks for joining us. If you want to make a liquor store clerk laugh, ask if the store has in stock any Buffalo Trace or Blanton's. These days, bourbons that were very common on Ohio shelves and liquor stores seem to have disappeared, driven in large part by a big bourbon boom. And that's causing some shortages. We're going to talk about the world of bourbon and why it seems to be so uh, popular here in Ohio with a couple of gentlemen who know a bit about it. Our own Dan Shingler from Cranes, who covers a lot of different elements of business, as well as Jason Calori. Jason is based in Columbus and hosts the popular YouTube channel about bourbon called The Mash and Drum. Guys, thanks for being with us today. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Let's start by defining some terms. We often talk about champagne having to come from a particular region in France, and I think people often think that bourbon must come from Kentucky. While that's not the case, there are some definite parameters to make something a bourbon. Yeah, I mean, that is true, and you don't, you don't have to make uh, bourbon in Kentucky, although some Kentucky purists will say only uh, bourbon should come from Kentucky, but that's just not, it's not the way it is these days. Although I think uh, most bourbon these days, I think, you could, I think over 90% is still made in Kentucky. But I mean, aging must take place in a new charred oak barrel. Uh, it's got to be, bourbon must be aged for at least two years to be considered a straight bourbon. Uh, the mash bill must contain at least 51% corn. Uh, sometimes you'll find a lot higher than that. You know, Maker's Mark uses about 70%, uh, but you could put wheat in there, you could put rye, you could put barley, but it has to contain that 51% corn in order to be called a bourbon. Uh, whiskey cannot enter the barrel at higher than 125 proof. It cannot enter the bottle at a proof less than 80 proof. Uh, it's got to come off the still at 160. Uh, you can water it down. A lot of uh, people are proofing uh, the, the bourbon down before it goes into the barrel. Usually when you put it in the barrel, you water it down a little bit. You're kind of getting some more of those water solubles uh, to help uh, age, make the bourbon a little bit sweeter. And nothing can be added but water uh, only to lessen the proof when necessary. Uh, other whiskeys can add color and flavor. Not bourbon must be all natural and what Mother Nature provides when aging. While every bourbon tastes different, if we were to say, just quickly, if we were to say, what's the difference that in taste from if you're going to drink a bourbon compared to, say, Jack Daniels or Canadian Club? Oh, there you go. <laughs> Jack, Jack Daniels is bourbon. It is. I thought it was not bourbon. It, it, it was bourbon, right? And then it became Tennessee whiskey when it went through charcoal. Okay. But is there, an, is there a notable taste difference? Uh, yes, with the with the charcoal mellowing process that Jack Daniels uses, it's a proprietary uh, process that they use. They they uh, drip their bourbon right off the still, so all that clear liquid that comes right off the still, it drips through about ten feet of uh, maple uh, char uh, maple charcoal. Uh, they use maple wood, they char it down, and they filter that uh, liquid right through there, about ten feet of it, to kind of purify it, smooth it out, uh, and then that goes right into the barrels for aging. So it seems that bourbon has really taken off. 25, 30 years ago, I, people drank bourbon, but didn't seem to quite have this popularity. To what do we attribute this? Is just people finally discovering it? Uh, I think there's a few, a, a few contributing factors. I think, I think so if you, could, if you track it back to about 2019, 2020, when really the bourbon boom started taking off, uh, I think 2019 is when we really saw some concrete numbers I think bourbon sales across the country went up about 12.9%, 13%, something along those lines. Um, and, you know, I, I mean, I, I hate to uh, like call them out, but I think a lot of it was attributed to the hipster, the hipster generation. Uh, you know, the, the young kids that kind of come in and they want something, you know, old, you know, old style is all of a sudden cool. Um, uh, you know, the vodkas and, and the wine coolers and all that stuff that was so popular in the 80s and the 90s have kind of went, you know, gone on out of style. Everybody, want, everybody wanted to drink something a little bit vintage, something with a story behind it. 
and nothing really gives you that more than bourbon. And and, and also the, the variabilities in demand are, are part of what's causing the problem because, I mean, if you go back five, certainly 10 years ago, I mean, distillers could hardly give this stuff away. So as a result, you know, they weren't necessarily putting away as many barrels as they are today or as they were maybe maybe 50 years ago. And now everybody wants, you know, 9, 10, 12, even 15-year-old bourbon, but it just doesn't exist. Yeah, I think you have also a combination of, um, you know, it, you kind of think back to where bourbon has been on the cheap side. It's always, it's always kind of been known as kind of a blue-collar drink. It's the working man's drink. It's, a, um, it's it was always on the cheaper side, you know, back, you know, way back when. And now we're seeing all these bourbons as a premium, you know, price. So I, I think you you could kind of look at it as, you know, where we where we kind of uh, really making out and, and really kind of, you know, stealing from these distillers when bourbon was only 25, 30, 40 bucks for the most part. Or is bourbon becoming the true value of what it should have been worth, you know, way back when at 100, 150 to 200 dollars for, for a lot of these new bottles? Dan, in addition to this, just the shortage, they just didn't make enough because they weren't did not anticipate the demand. I mean, I find it hard to believe, but I see this. And Jason, you can talk about this too, that people are now waiting in line at the grocery, you know, to the liquor store at eight o'clock in the morning, or they're calling to find out, you know, what time Giant Eagle gets its delivery. Yeah. Well, actually, Giant Eagle, they don't get their delivery on Saturday, but all of the Giant Eagle stores, I think all of them, at least a few of them that I've checked out, they put out their, their new stuff on Saturday. So like I live in Solon and um, for a couple Saturdays I, I went and sure enough, you go into the Giant Eagle at eight in the morning and the store's empty until you get to the liquor department. And then there's, you know, like five or 10 guys waiting in line. And by 830, it's 15. And by nine o'clock, it's, you know, 20 people or so. And that's on a regular day. I mean, you know, the people that were waiting in line said, oh, this is nothing. You should be here when, when everyone knows they have Blantons. The line winds through the store, um, which is kind of funny because when they get Blantons, it's not usually like they put $100, 100 bottles out on the, the counter to sell. Um, and, then, and then when you go in the store, they let, and I think this is for COVID, that they let in 10 people at a time. But so you wait in line, they open the door, you go in, you go to the counter, and it's like the soup Nazi. It's it's they 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 got they've got all of the 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 high demand bourbons out on the counter. You wait in line. You get to the, the register. You tell the guy which bottle you want. You only allow one bottle. And so if that's Blanton's and you buy Blanton's, fine. You got yourself a bottle of Blanton's. You can go get back in line. And and if there's still this is called allocated whiskey that's in rare demand. If there's still allocated bourbon available when you get back to the counter again, you're allowed to make a second purchase, but you're not allowed to buy the same bottle you bought. So if, if for some reason there's a second bottle of Blanton's, no, you got to buy, you got to buy something else. Um, and that's a combination of, I, I think, and what I'm told, um, both Giant Eagle and the state liquor people trying to make a fair process so that everyone has an equal chance of, of getting this, this bourbon. Now, each state handles the way they sell uh, bourbon and, and hard liquor in different ways. Dan, how does Ohio work? It's, it, we used to have state liquor stores back in the old day. Ohio is what's called a controlled state. And yeah, what used, used to be you had to go to an actual state-owned liquor store. We've changed since then, 
But, you know, if you go to the local beverage store or grocer or wherever you buy your, your, your liquor, that's not their liquor. That's the state's liquor. And it's being sold on consignment. And that store doesn't have any control over pricing. They have some control over what they get in stock, not, not the highly sought after allocated stuff. But, you know, they could say, you know, well, we don't want the regular wild turkey. It's not selling or something like that. But for the most part, the, the, the state's calling the shots. And it's, and it's the state's job to try to get this bourbon in here because all the other states are fighting for, for this, this, same, this same whiskey. Um, and surprisingly, Ohio drinks, by a pretty good margin, more American whiskey than any other state. Not per capita, total, total millions of dollars of whiskey. Um, I think we're at like three... 60, 360 million or something like that. Second place is Michigan at like 349. And then it drops down to 300 million a year pretty quickly. So this is a national phenomenon, but one that I think is particularly strong in, in our state. In addition to a general shortage, Jason, we were in upstate New York at the end of August. And of course, we visit liquor stores and we see a lot of different bourbons that we just never see in Ohio. What's the cause of that? Is that also one of those state controlled things? I think it's I think it's a couple things. It's a state control thing. I, I think uh, you know for Ohio. I think Ohio. Since I moved here, I mentioned I moved here in 2016, and a lot of the the changes that I've seen in just that short amount of time until now, uh, I think has been a, a good improvement. You know, I do see a lot more bourbons coming into the state, a lot more brands, and you know everybody's going to have complaints about you know I wish this bottle was here. I wish this bottle was here. Yeah, do I still wish there were some other brands here in Ohio? Of course. But, you know, that stuff takes time, especially for a uh, state controlled liquor agency. Um, now, when you go to New York, you go to other states, you know, generally you'll see a lot more of the state's beloved craft um, bourbons out of there. The smaller distilleries that are local to that state, um, you know, as some of those distilleries can't come into, you know, a state control because they just don't have the volume to supply a whole state, especially one, as Dan alluded to, that drinks as much as Ohio does. So there's a lot of you know challenges and hurdles there that you know before a, a bourbon or another American whiskey brand can just be brought into the state. And 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 also, you know, I, I think a lot of the people that you know are lining up at the store or they go in and they want a bottle of Blantons or a bottle of Weller and it's not on the shelf, they they probably would find this incredulous. But Ohio is actually really ramped up its supply of a lot of these highly sought after liquors. Um, we get we get more than twice as much Blanton's as we did uh, four years ago, which is also when Jim, Jim Canepa took over the Ohio uh, uh, Liquor Control Agency. Um, and we get like 10 times um, as much Weller as we did four years ago. In fact, I've heard Jason refer to us as the land of, of, of Weller. Yet there's still a shortage. So and, and the shortage is worse than it was four years ago. But that's not because there's less on the shelf. That's because there's more people coming in to buy it. The high end stuff. We're not necessarily drinking more. We're drinking more of the, the, the expensive American bourbons, though. One of the things I wondered about, we talk about consumers who go into the liquor stores, but then there's also the issue of restaurants who need supplies. How much are they taking? Oh, uh, they get a good amount when you consider, you know, and some of the some of the reasons why there's a lot of consumers that will get a little bit angry at, you know, walking to a store. Like for example, Russell's Reserve 13 was a was a huge release this year, big single barrel release um, from Wild Turkey. Um, a lot of people wanted that bottle. Uh, like for instance, my store here that I go to, 
only got three. They got one case. They got one case. Three of those bottles had to go to, you know, restaurants. Um, and that left only three bottles to sell to consumers. Now, while some of the people, you know, get really angry about that and, you know, rightfully so, they waited online for three, four or five hours to get one. And now they just found out they're not going to get one. So I understand the anger, but you also have to understand, you know, restaurant, like people that don't want to spend the money on this stuff uh, or wait in line eight hours, they can go to a restaurant and try it for however much money a pour. Um, so I, I, while I understand the frustration there, I think it's good that that some restaurants get to get these bottles because there's some people that just will never get to try this stuff or don't have the patience to wait online for it. So give them a shot to to try it somewhere else. And 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 also, and Jason knows way more about tasting whiskey than than, than I do. But it does strike me that if you're considering buying an expensive bottle of whiskey, you know that's 125, 150, maybe 200 dollars. It might be a good idea to go to a restaurant and order a shot first to make sure you like it because just because it's expensive doesn't mean you're going to like it, you know, or that it's going to taste like Blanton's or something else that you've had in the past. So, yeah, there's there's a lot of bottles out there that you have buyer's remorse. You think it's going to be good. You buy it. It's not that great. So a, a lot there's a lot of reviews that I've done where I'll say try before you buy just because it might not be my cup of tea, but. At the same time, someone else that might try it, it might be there, might be uh, something that they like. Okay, I admit it. That's where I learned it from watching. <laughs> Very good. Um, but, um, you know, going back to, to Jason was was referencing Russell Reserve 13. I was told that when that hit the shelves at my local Giant Eagle, word leaked out the day before. And they had a line of people at the time. Giant Eagle wasn't open 24 hours. They had a line of people waiting outside the store to get in at 7 a.m. so they could go to the liquor store and wait two more hours for it to open at 9 because they wanted to buy this this Russell Reserve 13. Yeah, this is also part of the bourbon community. And this isn't just an Ohio thing. This is all around the country. Bourbon, you know, we have our communities. We have our Facebook groups. We have our communities. We have people you talk to. We have Reddit. OHLQ runs a, uh, a Reddit as well, and they'll actually list bottles that are hitting different areas and different stores. People will say, I found this, I found that, this is at this store, this is at this store. You could post it in your Facebook groups. You could help out each other saying, hey, I heard that the uh, Russell Reserve 13 is gonna end up at you know Giant Eagle this morning. Everybody go get online. So I think because of the popularity that uh, Dan alluded to earlier, it's this incredible network of people trying to help each other out to get allocated bottles. Um, that's just something that has grown since the bourbon boom started. Mm -hmm. And, and one of the things that, that we haven't touched on is that while you might have to wait in line to get a bottle of Blanton's or whatever it is that you're, you're, you're uh, uh, hankering for in Ohio, you're also probably going to pay a lot less for it. Cause I mean, if you buy that bottle of, of Blanton's at an Ohio, in Ohio, you're going to pay retail 54 99. If you go to a non-controlled state where retailers just charge what the market will bear, I think the cheapest I've seen a bottle of Blanton's was $250, and I've routinely seen it at, at $400. And that's not, even, that's not even close to the most extreme example. A, a bottle of Pappy Van Winkles, which is a really star-level bourbon, 
Um, and when the state sells it, it usually sells it by lottery. You have to enter a lottery. If you win the lottery, you, you, you get to buy a bottle. You'll buy that bottle of Pappy's, Pappy Van Winkle bourbon for retail price, which I think is $129.99. If you wanted to buy that bottle online, you could spend $3,000 for a bottle of that bourbon. It's crazy. I mean, to the extent that th this market is so crazy that, that one of the things that, that the state really has to watch for is people buying this to resell it. It's not legal, but and Jason doesn't want to talk about it. I know because it's like you don't talk about Fight Club, but, <laughs> but it, it, it's pretty widely known that this happens in the shadows to at least some degree. Yeah, it's definitely a thing. You know, you do have the resellers and the black market sellers, and that's that's just part of the game today. It just it is what it is. Unfortunately, um, it's driving a lot of the the market and a lot of the prices from uh, store owners that aren't state controlled. They look to secondary pricing, uh, black market pricing, in order to price their bottles in the store. You were in New York. I mean, I'm sure you saw some crazy prices there. We did. Yeah, and yeah. and I've had I've had consumers that were waiting in line tell me. They like this system. I, I, I had a guy tell me, you know, if I get lucky and I get a bottle of Blanton's here, I can afford $55. At $400, I would never drink Blanton's. I, I, I don't make enough money to spend $400 on a bottle of bourbon. It's barely worth 60 bucks in my opinion. But that's it, exactly. And, and yeah, <laughs> Jason, Jason and other um, YouTube has a whole cadre of people called whiskey tube. And most of them will tell you that you can do better than Blanton's for the price. But, but, you know, this guy said, you know, I, I, I couldn't afford it this way. The whiskey, you know, goes to the people who have the most passion and enthusiasm for it. And the state actually likes that. I mean, Jim Canepa, the, the, the state's top liquor agent told me, that's that's music to my ears. That's that's exactly what I'm hoping to. You do have a lot of travelers also. You know, what's funny is like I, we called we called uh, Ohio, the you know, kind of the land of Weller. And also, you know, to some extent, you know, you can get Blanton's here for retail. So what's funny is, you know, unless you get lucky at the Buffalo Trace distillery, you're not going to find Weller antique, Weller Special Reserve or even Blanton's sitting around uh, Kentucky which is crazy where it's made. I mean, I'm sure they're around, but remember, Kentucky is not state-controlled either. They could price it as high as they want. I've seen Blanton's and I've seen Weller Antique in Kentucky price for way above uh, MSRP. So you'll get a lot of people coming in from Kentucky, a lot of people coming in from Michigan, people coming up from Tennessee just to be able to get a shot at getting a Weller Antique or a Blanton's or anything else that's super allocated for retail because Ohio is able to control those prices. Jason Kalari hosts the Mash and the Drum, a popular YouTube channel talking about bourbon. Dan Shingler writes about bourbon and a lot of other stuff for Cranes Cleveland. This is the landscape. I don't usually write about bourbon, but this time I do. Yeah. <laughs> this, is, this is the landscape where Cranes Cleveland podcasts were presented with the support of Weatherhead Executive Education at Case Western Reserve University. Jason, I have $300 taste buds, but I have $35, $40 in my wallet. So what things might I be looking for that are good bargain bourbons? Give me a couple. Yeah, there's a, there's a couple. There's a there's a good amount of stuff on the shelf that I always recommend. Um, I would say Old Forester 1920 uh, is a great bourbon. Yes, Wild Wild Turkey happens to be one of my favorite. My it might be my favorite distillery. I think there are so many amazing value bourbons that they put on the shelf that's older or just as good. Now listen, 
everyone's going to have their favorite bourbons, what they like, what they don't like. Um, there's no real perfect bourbon out there. I think everyone's always, we, we keep buying these bottles in search of the perfect bourbon. There's no such thing. Everyone's flavors and tastes are different. Mine is wild turkey. Um, you know, I tend to love Four Roses, but I can see why people love Buffalo Trace. It's a lot sweeter. It's a little bit smoother, easier on the palate. Yes, I use the word smoother, but whatever. Um, <laughs> but like for my taste buds, I think uh, wild turkey gives you the greatest bang for your buck. Rare breed, Russell's Reserve single barrel, uh, which is actually older, non-chill filtered, and a higher proof than Blanton's is, and also cheaper. So I always recommend people try Russell's Reserve before you chase that horsey top. Um, also, I think uh, Four Roses, I mentioned, the Four Roses single barrel. Four Roses small batch select is an absolutely delicious bourbon. And nobody really buys it. I always see it on the shelf. Absolute hitter of a bourbon for about 60 bucks. You also have Cooper's Craft, uh, charred and chiseled, which is a 100-proof bourbon from Brown Foreman. Not a lot of people know that it's from Brown Foreman. It's an absolutely great bourbon for about $28. I think $17.92 is overlooked. Nobody really likes to go after Knob Creek anymore. Knob Creek from Jim Beam brought back its nine-year-old H statement not too long ago. Uh, they had a nine year age statement for a long time. It went away and now it's back. Now that supplies are back up. Uh, they also have 120 proof single barrel. Uh, that's also very affordable, about 45, 50 bucks. There's a lot of great bourbons on the shelf and some of the newer stuff I think people should try. Wilderness Trail makes a weeded bourbon that you could put up against Weller any day of the week. Uh, they have a great, you know, regular rye. They have a, um, a rye base bourbon as well. Also, New Riff is making great stuff out of uh, out of Kentucky, and um, one more I'm missing. Oh yeah, Chattanooga, Chattanooga, uh, Chattanooga 111, Cask 111 out of Tennessee. Just an amazing bourbon. It's a high malt uh, mash bill. It's very sweet. Amazing uh, flavors for only being a three, two to three year old product. So there's a lot of great stuff out there that you do not have to wait online for uh, to enjoy a great bourbon. Ohio is making more and more bourbons. We see Watershed and other distilleries. Or is, is there any particular Ohio bourbons that have stood out to you that you thought were worth drinking? Yeah, actually, the new Watershed Bottle and Bond, I enjoyed very much. They kind of just did a rebrand. Uh, also, I love what Middle West uh, Spirits is doing. Uh, their bourbon needed a little bit more time, uh, and it's getting better and better. But I'm really in love with the Middle West Spirits Pumpernickel Rye. I think it's an absolutely delicious and kind of a funky type of uh, flavor profile that's just different. Uh, Tom's Foolery, Bottle and Bond out of Ohio as well. I really enjoy the uh, the pot still, the fact it's non-chill filtered, or, you know, all That's that. That's up here in Chagrin Falls. Yeah, those those three those three products uh, in in Ohio has probably uh, have probably stuck out. Also, some of the Magnolia Spirit stuff as well. Uh, Magnolia is uh, at a Noble Cut Distillery up in I think it's Reynoldsburg, Ohio. Um, they're sourcing some stuff, but they're also making some some great blends and. They have a uh, they have a great weeded offering, great weeded bourbon from Magnolia that's uh, doing really well. And if you like that weeded bourbon profile, it's actually pretty damn delicious. Which is Weller's is a weeded bourbon, so it, yeah, it's pretty, yeah, exactly. pretty popular profile. Yep, yep. By, by the way, Dan, can I can I just say, in case anyone's listening to this and knows me, I haven't fallen off the wagon. I still don't <laughs> drink, so I, I I find this stuff fascinating and I love talking about it. But that's as far as that's as far as we've gone. No judgment zone here, so don't worry. <laughs> um, finally, guys, I mean, do you think this is ever going to sort of even out and get back to where we were before, where it, it won't be so hard to find these particular bourbons and either people will move on to the next hipters or move on to the next phase or things, the production will get up to speed? What's going to happen in the next few years? 
I'll let I'll let Dan weigh in on this first. Um, okay. Well, I I don't know. I could envision uh, a, a scenario fairly easily. I can envision two scenarios fairly easily. It, it it continues to gain in popularity and supply and demand level out, or demand wanes and it, I don't mean it collapses, but it just falls back a little bit. And then because we're putting so much bourbon up to age now in three, four or five years, we end up with kind of a glut. But I, I, Jason probably can speak to that better than I can. I, I think there's going to be a few factors here in, uh, in what a, a, eventually now I don't I can't give you a, you know, a projection of when this will happen. But I think eventually I see. I think what we're seeing is a lot of bourbon brands coming into the market, whether they're source brands, whether they're new brands, whether they're new distilleries opening, new craft distilleries. Um, I think we're we're going to see. I think an oversaturation of the market and a drop in quality could end up hurting bourbon in the long run, uh, just because so many brands are coming to the market with different stuff, and there's so much whiskey now, and there's still new distilleries opening, you know, all the time across the country. So. That type of oversaturation can usually lead to a drop in quality or something like what happened with beer. Beer is still very popular, but, you know, about 10, 15 years ago when all these breweries were popping up all over the map, it was kind of an oversaturation of beer. There was just beer everywhere. Every single distillery was making something different. You didn't really know where to look anymore. And I think that's what's kind of happening with whiskey, especially if you're not educated. I also think the black market, uh, the secondary market could also kill bourbon in a way, because like we said, a lot of these guys that have the money, they have the free time uh, and are taking this really seriously as a source of income. These are the guys that are just going to wait online. They're going to buy up everything they can and they're just going to flip it. And regular guys uh, that just want to try this stuff and, and drink it can't get it anymore and eventually will just get sick of it. Um, I already see that happening with some of my friends that are just, you know, I'm done with the whole bourbon thing. I don't want to wait online anymore. I can't get anything anyway. So I'm just going to focus on stuff that's available on the shelf. So I think those contributing factors could eventually hurt bourbon, but we'll see how it goes down the line. But right now, anytime soon, I don't see it slowing down. It's been interesting to see what happens and hopefully everybody will be able to get what they need. Jason Kalori and Dan Shangler, thanks for joining us today and talking about an important and obviously a subject dear to our hearts, <laughs> bourbon guys. Thanks. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Dan. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Jason Kalari hosts the Mash and the Drum, a popular YouTube channel talking about bourbon. And you can, of course, read Dan Shingler's work in Cranes, Cleveland. I'm Dan Paletta. We're presented with the support of WeatherEd Executive Education at Case Western Reserve University. Glad you could join us today.